0: When you went to the home opener and you were watching the Ottawa Senators without Eric Carlson, did you kind of think of that as you know going to see what, like a classic rock band that was like missing an important member?
1: Yeah, I suppose it was a little like seeing Queen without Freddie Mercury or something like that. Yeah, it's a little bit like seeing Journey without Steve Perry, right? Or a third equally dated reference. <laughs> I'm sorry I can't think of any newer bands because I've been at games listening to Missing Chicklets play the most dad rock you've ever heard. I swear somebody in that band used to be like a touring member of Dire Straits.
0: <laughs> what I'm hearing is that there's been a lot of three-minute long slide guitar solos. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what I'm saying is if you if you haven't heard Taken Care of Business enough in your life to so far, my suggestion is you go to a sense game. <laughs> That said, when you're surrounded by Leafs fans and your house band starts playing Take It Easy by the Eagles, you're like, I will not take it easy, Missin' Chicklets, not right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you it in red, remember Todd White, where did Eric Carlson eat last night? Doesn't matter if you ask, It's the Chet and Luke podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode Emily Rose of the Chet Sellers and Luke Periski podcast. I'm Luke, and I'm joined as always by the man who never suffers a long term finger injury. It's Chet Sellers.
1: (laughs) How are you doing, man? Pleasure to be here. I'm doing well. Love the show. did you say you love the show? <laughs> so this is episode, Emily Rose, she is, as I understand it, the longtime uh Binghamton Devils fan, been a Binghamton Devils fan uh pretty much forever. So it's uh it's a little weird to shout out somebody who's a, a fan of an AHL team of you know, that's not associated with this franchise, but uh go Broom County. I was
0: uh doing my research for this episode, and it turns out that no Ottawa Senators players have worn number fifty four. I think back in the spring, I kind of put it out there. like, who wants to sponsor some podcast episodes? You can have your name up in lights on this podcast. And Miss Emily Rose came through with a $50 donation to the Sens Foundation.
1: Well, that's fantastic. You know, I don't even begrudge her being a Binghamton Devils fan, uh, you know, given that she's made such a generous contribution to the Sens Foundation. So thank you very much. So, Chet. Sure. Last night, the Ottawa Senators beat the Toronto Maple
0: Leafs at home though you wouldn't necessarily know it from the number of Leafs fans in the building. Just
1: kidding, they're always there. I was at that game last night doing a little uh, shoe leather reporting, and I can tell you it wasn't 75% Leafs fans, as has been reported, but it was probably close to half. Uh, okay. And it was definitely a higher turnout than I've seen at a Leafs game in the last couple of years, because I don't know if you've heard this, but the Leafs are apparently good now. <laughs> and so there seem to be a lot more people that are willing to come out and watch their team uh, lose on the road to the Senators. Well, look,
0: we're talking about a Leafs team that is coming off a big win against the powerhouse teams you know, like the Red Wings. And like let's face it, like the Leafs only loss is to New Jersey and losses to New Jersey happen. Like, we we experienced that earlier this week. So there's no doubt that when you're the Leafs and you're just beating these,
1: you know, incredibly strong teams, you're probably pretty good. The Senators came into this game, I think, with three wins, one loss, and three overtime losses. And all four of those losses came at home and all three wins came on the road. And, you know, you were sort of wondering if they were ever going to win a home game. And then you're like, oh, and Toronto's coming to town on Saturday. They're going to lose that game, of course. But... At the same time you have to ask yourself which which team has had the worst omen coming into the game. And I think it was at some point on Thursday or Friday that Vegas declared the Leafs to be at 8 to 1 the presumptive Stanley Cup favorite. <laughs> and 8 to 1 8 to 1 is still high enough odds that it's like yeah, we don't know either. But as soon as that happened I was like, "Oh, the Leafs are going to lose on Saturday. This is perfect. <laughs> I'm so happy." Okay. And, and and let me say this. I don't like going to sends Leafs games, like it just feels like a bad experience spiritually. Like you're, They aren't fun. No, they're not fun. And you're sitting there looking around at your fellow citizens who are kind of revealing themselves, like, you know, in terms of who would give you up during wartime. Like, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not a fun place to be. Like, it feels a little bit like the purge or something like that. Like, this is just a game in October. So in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to mean nearly as much as when these two teams meet in the playoffs this year and the city of Ottawa burns to the ground but there's still enough high anxiety and emotions on both sides that it feels bigger than it probably should be, and it doesn't end up feeling very fun to watch, especially when you're watching things like Johnny Oduya turn the puck over in front of his own net, trying to do a 20-foot D-to-D pass. Uh, (laughs) But let me say this as well. It used to be you would go to a Leafs game in Ottawa, a Leafs game in Ottawa, that's right, and you would see a wide variety of... Of jerseys, You would see your Matt Sundines and your Wendell Clarks and your Ty Domies and your Darcy Tuckers. And, you know, the, cele- the classics, the classics, yeah, celebrating a, a long history of great uh-huh. Leafs players who never won a Stanley Cup. And you go now and literally the only jersey you see on the back of every Leafs fan is. Can you guess who it is? Um, I'm going to go with probably the most underappreciated player in the league. Um, Austin Matthews. That's correct. <laughs> but it's like you're so you're seeing more people coming in the Leafs garb and all of them have brand spanking new austin matthews jerseys like they never really had one to begin with like these people are just kind of coming out of the woodwork and finally admitting that they're leafs fans like there were so many like brand new almost with the tags still on austin matthews jerseys like you almost might as well call that thing my first leafs jersey like i swear they give that Mm -hmm. thing out if you subscribe to the athletic that's how common it is (laughs) so it was it was a weird it was a weird weird
0: experience You say weird, but we are talking in a reality where the Senators actually won last night. And so my thoughts on the game are as follows. Toronto's not that good. (laughs) I'm just going to throw it out there. All i had been hearing is how these guys were the scariest offensive unit since the Comedy Central roast of Bob Saget. (laughs) Um, And I got to say, still bad on defense and not even that scary offensively. If you have a system that makes you care even a little bit about defense.
1: They are definitely good offensively when they can kind of set up and they're quick and they can transition quickly. But they also cannot play defense. As you say, they gave up a ton of odd man rushes. Ottawa kind of had better chances throughout the game, you know, and it was three nothing after two. So it was only in the third period where you're like, well, score effects being what they are, they're going to give up at least one and then they gave up the second and the Leafs never had the lead in the game and they were down by two goals or three goals for most of it but at the same time like as soon as it was 3-2 and you know every Leafs fan around you is throwing nachos in the air you're kind of like oh no
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I went out to watch the uh, to watch the game at a bar you know I was like I think one of two Sens fans in the bar and so once it goes 3-2 the entire bar is starting uh, Austin Matthews chant and Guy shook he calls a timeout and I'm just like oh boy here we go I'm really glad I'm doing this in public but then you got to give it up to your man and mine Mark Stone seven seconds later with the beautiful steel of the pass and then buries his own mm-hmm. rebound that was one of the most cathartic experiences I've ever had watching a hockey game. To go from that nervousness and fear to, oh right, they're actually trash. <laughs> just instantly. <laughs> that was uh, that
1: was a beautiful goal. Stone and Hoffman and Brassard all looked great last night. And credit to Guy Boucher, I guess, for calling that timeout because it was right after the Leafs scored their second goal and the crowd just came alive. Like the Leafs crowd. And calling the time out just gave them more time to keep chanting Go Leaves Go, Go Leafs Go And I was like, Gibbouge, why are you doing this? <laughs> you have to drop the puck so that they can stop chanting Go Leafs Go. And as it turns out, he was doing it so that Mark Stone could score in seven seconds, which was really the way to get them to uh, to calm down. So all credit to Guy Boucher on that particular 4-D chess move. Yeah, no- noted brain
0: genius Guy Boucher really coming through in the clutch there. And I th- honestly, I think that's probably the f- only good timeout I've ever seen taken in a hockey game. Because normally taking the timeout is like the panic move to end all panic moves. It's like we are so rattled right now that we have to literally stop the game to think about it. You never want to be the team taking the timeout. You always want to be the team who like forced that. And that's the first time when I can think, oh good, taking a timeout was was a good move and led to immediate success for
1: the team that did it. Can we talk about Guy Boucher for a second? Because I'm starting to feel like Not that the tide is turning for Guy Boucher, but that it's the same thing that happened with Paul McClain. Like after Paul McClain won the Jack Adams trophy, it was like he could do no wrong and you couldn't possibly imagine a scenario that within a year he would basically be out of a job. And that's basically where we were with Guy Boucher in the system last year. And then he goes and against the Devils on Tuesday, puts out like Tom Pyatt and Cody C.C. to start overtime, you know, again playing 4D chess against himself because when you're in overtime at home, you got to play for the tie, I guess. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, starti- I'm starting to see more and more people kind of drag some of those moves on Twitter. And I'm starting to wonder if things are not going to be a lot more difficult for Guy Boucher from a fan perspective this year.
0: I do worry about Guy Boucher in, in that way, because your man does seem a little prone to overthinking it from time to time. Well, well, here's and the I thing, think, you know, not putting Eric Carlson on to start overtime is like one of those times where you think if I was thrust into the situation of coach, I'd just be like, uh, you there, Carlson hit a home run type thing, <laughs> you know, and Pretty so much. <laughs> What sometimes the
1: obvious move is the good move. <laughs> that's what I don't get with Guy Boucher is that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he's a very smart coach. But it's kind of like smart in what respect? Because he's he's clearly, like, thinks a lot about tactics. Like, he, you know, to the point where he overthinks three-on-three three overtime when you've got Eric Carlson sitting on the bench and you get scored on immediately thinking five moves ahead. Yeah, I know. He's, he's kind of sitting there like, and then
0: seven moves later i will play queen the king's (laughs) bishop seven and it'll be curtains yeah like meanwhile
1: you're just like uh checkmate he's trying to figure out who to put out there on three on three overtime he's like ah the classic prisoner's dilemma you know (laughs) but on the other side of things i'm i'm sort of wondering like every now and then he says something that leads you to believe he actually thinks a lot about advanced stats, too. Like, he'll say something that makes it sound like, well, you know, I mean, it's in coach speak, but that really sounds like he's uh, buying into an expected goals model when it comes to shot quality. So you'll get that, but then on the other hand, you'll also get him saying things like, give me 10 Mark Borwieckis and I'll win you a Stanley Cup and a Super Bowl. And it's like and a Super Bowl, Guy Boucher? That's a different (laughs) sport, you know? So I'm never really sure where he's at on, on some of those things. He does seem to be a tactician, but sometimes Sometimes it works like calling a timeout while the entire arena shakes with go leaves go, and sometimes it doesn't work like when you put Tom Pyatt out to start three on three overtime and lose immediately. Anthony Scaramucci lasted longer than that shift of Tom Piat and Cody Cece <laughs> in three on three overtime.
0: Yeah, I got to say, uh I think part of the reason why that 3-on-3 overtime was especially galling is because the Senators had just finished blowing a 4-2 lead in the third period as well. I think so that's it was right. kind of like, all right, well, we uh, we didn't get the two points, but... at least you've still got a chance to win it in
1: overtime oh here comes Tom Pyatt and Cody Zizi what could go wrong? Yeah so they blew two goal leads in both the opener against Washington and that game against New Jersey and they also lost at home in overtime to Detroit in the shootout so the only game they lost outright was the trappiest trap game that ever trapped which was the Canucks game against a bottom five team after coming off a 3-0 road trip in which you outscore the province of Alberta 12-1 so it's like of course they're gonna (laughs) lose that game but then you gotta gotta regroup that was perfect but we gotta we gotta break down the nature of
0: that particular trap game because as you say you know 12 goals in two games a shout out for craig anderson even mike condon only gives up a goal you've got two days off you're coming home you're getting eric carlson back vancouver lost alex edler they're starting their backup goalie and you just look at all these factors and
1: you go Guaranteed loss Guaranteed (laughs) Lock it in Lock it the heck in That is the That is like the You know Cop who's two days From retirement And just bought a boat game Like there's no way There's absolutely no way That you're going to win That game And I think In a way I think Even they know that Right But that's (laughs) why When you come back On Thursday Against New Jersey You don't start overtime With Tom Pye And Cody Cece You know When you've lost All your home games you need to do it for the culture you need to put eric carlson out there the guy has six assists in three games like he's on pace for zero goals and 150 assists in a sort of way i was thinking of the vancouver loss
0: and the new jersey loss as a kind of like karmic investment in my future i was like okay we've we've paid the piper earlier this week can we
1: beat the leafs now yes
0: So the Senators are 4-1
1: and 3. Almost uh, almost 6-1-3. Two more wins. Oh, that's even better than I thought. Right. Um, The only problem with going 6-1-3 is that then they're going to hit a skid and go (laughs) (laughs) 8-1-9. Shout out to the Gatineau area. I really like the kind of
0: tightrope the Senators are walking because on the one hand... You know, you want to make sure that you start the year strong, put some points in the bank, get a cushion built up between you and the teams chasing you for the playoffs. But also, this is kind of what I like to call the uh, the Montreal dilemma, in the sense <laughs> that you don't want to come out too strong like Montreal of two years ago, but you also don't want to come out too weak like Montreal of this year.
1: Montreal is already eight points out of a playoff spot, and it's like the second week of the season. They are rancid. Like, they have a lot of work to do if they're going. Like, and this is the thing with Montreal, as far back as they are. Um, you've got right now, it's very early, but in playoff spots in the Atlantic, you've got Tampa, Toronto, and Ottawa. Boston is like kicking around around 500, which is where we thought they'd be. Florida is not good. Buffalo is terrible again. And then even below Buffalo, you've got Montreal, right? Who was supposed to basically challenge for the, you know, division lead. So playoff wise, I mean, like I'm saying this on October 22nd, but it's like playoff wise, I think this thing is in the bank. <laughs>
0: I mean, we're, we're rapidly approaching that point of the late fall where someone goes... Statistically speaking, by this point in the season, like, 93% of the teams that are in the playoffs now will make the playoffs. Yeah, what is that? That's and like U.S. Thanksgiving, right? Like, yeah. you know, end of November? That's all I'm waiting for at this point, is just for, uh, I'm just waiting for someone to cite that stat, and then I can relax for the next six months until <laughs> until the spring rolls around. Yeah. <laughs> I am, why do, I am we, why do we even bother having a whole NHL season when all you need are, like, six weeks of hockey? I don't get it. <laughs> Here's a question. Um, okay. Are you at all worried about uh, Bobby Ryan apparently being
1: out for a month or more with a finger injury? Oh, and he's looked so good, and especially with Broussard. And I think That's true. Brent Wallace said last night that this is his sixth finger or hand injury in the last three years. Right. And this is the same right index finger that he broke back in February and missed 11 games. And it looks like he's going to miss about the same number of games now. And that's in addition to, you know, Zach Smith being out for who knows how long. Colin White still having a broken wrist. Obviously, Mark Borwiecki not in the game right now. So, yeah, it's uh, they're starting to pile up, aren't they? The Senators do
0: seem to be dealing with some injury problems, but at this point, I'm kind of just so used to Bobby Ryan being hurt at some point during the year that I'm thinking, ah, we can fade it. It's fine. <laughs> we've we've done this before. What's going on with Bobby Ryan's fingers, though? Like his hands must just look like a wizened tree root at this point. <laughs> um, like, are, does he have bones that are made of chalk or something? It's does he just keep on trying to like catch the puck out of the air with his hand for some reason? Like what's going on with that guy?
1: So I'm not a doctor, but let's talk about bones. We know that Eric Carlson has taken a lot of bone out of his ankle recently. We also know that basically every part of Eric Carlson's body is magic. Assuming that that bone hasn't been thrown away, and why would it? Because it's the kind of thing that you want to put on display in, like, a medieval cathedral for, you know, pilgrims to visit. (laughs) Fragments of Eric Carlson's bone, like it's, you know, part of St. Augustine or something like that. Why can't we take some of that leftover Eric Carlson bone and graft it into Bobby Ryan's hands? Like, who says no to that? Surely that's got to heal those fingers up. So, like, a bone magic transplant? Yeah, like, we are a budget team. You cannot, you know, just throw away your medical waste. Like, let's, <laughs> let's figure out a way to get some of that Eric Carlson bone graft into Bobby Ryan's hands. That's like the the, the healing waters of, um, what's like Sweden's Lake Minnetonka. Like, that's what we need for Bobby the Swedish Ryan. Swedish equivalent of the Holy Grail. Yes, exactly. You have two choices when you take a bone out of Eric Carlson. You either put it on display for pilgrims to visit for hundreds and hundreds of years, or you graft it into Bobby Ryan's hand and fix that problem once or for all. Make it happen. Either way, it's a missed opportunity, what's happening right now. My concern, though, is that it seems to be all the forwards that keep getting hurt. So instead of calling up, oh, I don't know, Thomas Shabbat, we're calling up Chris Dominico. Oh, that sounds like a person who plays hockey for the yeah. Senators. Yeah, that sounds like someone I've heard of other than, say, Thomas Shabbat. Chris Dominico? Can we play Thomas Shabbat at forward? I mean, Mark borvietsky's done it. That might be a good plan at this point.
0: You know, although I mean, it's hard to say because I think they try to play him on his offside, even if they did have him at forward. You know, (laughs) yeah. Um, Chris D. Domenico sounds like whoever replaced Dennis DeYoung as the lead singer for (laughs) Sticks.
1: Oh God! So we've got what what is it now? Queen, uh, Sticks, Dire Straits, and Journey. Oh man.
0: This is the uh, Chet Sellers and Luke Paristi dad rock cast.
1: <laughs> um, thank you for tuning uh, in. Anyway, get well soon, Bobby Ryan.
0: Can you, can you sum up how you feel through the season so far? Are you feeling confident? Do you think there's still a long road ahead? Are you worried about the usual predictions of doom in terms of the senators and their apparently dismal analytics numbers? Tell me I how feel- you feel.
1: I feel okay. I feel like they've picked up where they've left off. Their analytics numbers are not great. I think they will improve a little bit. But I think at the same time, they're going to hit a skid at some point. Uh, Everybody's going to say the bottom has finally dropped out. They do have some injuries piling up. So I think it will be a very long road ahead. I still think it's a playoff team. I don't think it's a division champion, but it is like a... Finish third in the Atlantic and play the Leafs in the playoffs, and watch the city burn down—kind of team. So we can all look forward to that. But for now, I think so long as they can kind of keep banking points, they uh, they need to do it.
0: Are you ready for that? Are you ready to play the Leafs again in the playoffs? Because Absolutely maybe the, maybe not. Maybe this is
1: last night's win talking, but I'm I'm like I can I can handle this. I, I think the team can handle it. I think they can. You know, I, I would like their chances in a series against the Leafs. What I what I don't like is you know watching it.
0: At this point, you only go to a Leafs sens game if you're a Leafs fan and part of like the only way you can find joy is to like make the person next to you <laughs> miserable, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. And all the actual Senators' season ticket holders are giving up those seats, A, because they don't really want to deal with the Leafs fans, and B, because they made enough money to buy a yacht selling those <laughs> tickets to people that traveled four hours to stay in Canada and watch their team lose 6-3. to three. You idiots. <laughs> if you were to say at the beginning of the year, okay, so after eight games, they'll have 11 out of a possible 16 points And they will not lose a single game while Eric Carlson is out of the lineup. You'll take that, right? Oh, for sure.
0: And, you know, there's a lot to be said for getting those overtime loss points as well. Getting points where you can. And by that measure, the Senators are doing very well so far.
1: Yeah, the overtime loss is the exact kind of point maximization you need to pick up throughout the year. Uh, it's just better when your overtime loss is sort of like that free point that you got because you scored a late garbage goal in the third to tie things as mm-hmm. opposed to when you blow a two goal lead and your two points turn into one point in the form of a demoralizing overtime loss, which has happened uh, twice now. The main criticisms of Guy Boucher do seem to be, like, mostly
0: overtime-related, and I think if, like, your biggest problem is, like, we can't quite figure out our optimal
1: lineup, which accounts for, you know, 5% of the game, that's not so bad. Yeah, well, that's part of it, and the, the other part of it with Boucher is the, you don't give Thomas Shabbat steak, you give Mark borvietsky steak. <laughs> Did you miss him at all last night? Not particularly, but again, as much as the team talks about how they miss borvietsky when he's injured, which seems to happen more or less every year given the style of game he plays... I wonder if, you know, Borvietsky's annual shoulder injury is a feature, not a bug, you know, because it gives other people a chance to play. Uh, and as much as they said they missed him in the playoffs last year, they really didn't. Uh, and yeah. I, think this, I think the same is true now.
0: They, they did say they missed him, but at the same time, I never heard Guy Boucher or Pierre Dorian out here like, we would have made the cup finals if we'd had Borvietsky
1: in the lineup. Yeah, exactly. He would have scored that goal in the second overtime of Game 7, and now I'm sad again. Oh, Folks, thank you for joining us,
0: and we hope that the coming 74 games are just as joyous and
1: blessed as the one we experienced last night. That is a Borvietsky number of games. (laughs) It is. So there's a lot of season left to play. There is, but um, the system is doing its work. There you go. All right. Good day, good system, and we'll see you again soon. See you next time.
0: Whoa! Were a couple of fellers who both still live with their moms. Breaking the towns, local hockey team down, some microphones on. No other podcast was finer. What was more of a hit with the big rig diners. We never thought they'd make it past episode five. Whoa, somehow these dudes named shed and Perez are alive. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa.
1: We're talking a little bit about jerseys at the Leafs game, and I, of course, because I, you know, have to troll the Leafs fans at least a little bit, I wore my white Heritage Clark MacArthur jersey. You are the biggest jersey hipster in existence, because you even got that
0: like on the day of the Heritage Classic, and you were like, check me out buying this
1: no (laughs) one's gonna have one of these catch me at the send store getting the commemorative patch put on it Oh, what a what a boast um but my question is the leafs fan at the game wearing the toronto dion Fanouf jersey what's he thinking because he's wearing a leafs jersey But it's for a player that is playing for the Senators who is getting roundly booed by Leafs fans every time he touches the puck uh, because you guys chose to give him all that money. It is weird to think about the fact that I
0: really like Dion Phaneuf now. If Dion Phaneuf got traded, would you still wear a Dion Phaneuf Sens jersey to a Sens game? Because I guess that's what's happening here. You'd be like, ah, that guy was fine.
1: I'll wear this jersey. Dion Phaneuf was the easiest guy to make fun of when he played for Toronto, but as soon as the Leafs fans that used to cheer for him are booing him in Ottawa, I was like, you leave Dion Phaneuf alone. He's suffered enough. He even gave though, you everything. <laughs> yeah, even though he, you know, makes $7 million a year and has a, a famous actress wife and, you know, a huge spread in PEI where he gets the whole team drunk on Brett and Scotch and they go out and lose a preseason game, 22 to nothing. Uh, you look, leave that's, Dion Phanophel alone. You make fun.
0: That, that's, that's leadership. That is leadership in the NHL is getting the team <laughs> drunk on Scotch. You so leave you Dion Phanophel <laughs> alone. It's weird how easily you switch your opinion on a player as soon as they
1: put on the right shirt. Yeah, it's almost like it's more about the shirt. Yeah.